Let's turn in God's Word, first of all, to Psalm 34, and then Psalm 110. Both of these are messianic psalms, psalms that teach us about the coming promised Messiah. Again, recall that Jesus Christ was anointed into the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. So as we read through these psalms, I encourage you to look for instruction from God's Word about Christ fulfilling the work of prophet, priest, and king. Psalm 34, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, and do good. Seek peace, and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, And they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Now let's turn to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Psalm 110, entitled, A Psalm of David. The Lord said unto my Lord, 
sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant words. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. It's on the basis of these passages that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 12. Lord's Day 12, question 31. Why is he called Christ that is anointed? The answer, because he is ordained of God the Father anointed with the Holy Ghost to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, and to be our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us, and also to be our eternal King who governs us by His Word and Spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that salvation which He has purchased for us. But why art thou called a Christian? The answer, because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus am partaker of His anointing, that so I may confess His name, and present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to Him, and also that with a free and good conscience I may fight against sin and Satan in this life, and afterwards reign with Him eternally over all creatures. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, you know as well as I do that we live in a world that emphasizes the importance of self. Live for your self. Seek your own happiness. Determine for yourself what you will do and what you will not do, and do not allow anybody else to impose his or her will upon you 
if that should prevent you from doing what you desire to do. Advertising agencies understand full well how self-absorbed our culture is. And advertising companies work off of that by saying you deserve this product. You have worked hard. You buy this product and in the way of you buying this product, you can be happy. How different is the name Christ? Christ. Christ does not reveal unto us a man who lived his life for Himself. Christ does not reveal to us a man who prioritized Himself. Christ does not reveal unto us a man who even determined Himself what He would do while He walked upon this earth. But Christ, a man who submitted to the will of his Father. Christ, one who was ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost to be your Savior. Christ, the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament Messiah, the promised one who had set Israel free from their captivity. Christ, who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Are you worthy of the name Christian? Let's consider this morning, Lord's Day 12, under the theme, Believing the Messiah. First, we'll look at the offices, three offices He held. Third, our anointing into those offices. And then fourth, or third, rather, the glory given. First, His offices. Second, our anointing. Third, the glory given. Jesus Christ was anointed into three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Catechism speaks of His anointing, first of all, into the office of prophet. Answer 31. Christ is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost to be our chief prophet, and teacher. What did He do as prophet and teacher? Who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our 
redemption. The Catechism makes the claim that Jesus Christ is prophet and teacher, and it does so on the basis of God's Word. Did you see it in Psalm 34? Where it teaches, reveals to us that Christ is teacher. Psalm 34, verse 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And here the I, the first person singular, refers not only to David, but refers also and perhaps even especially to Christ. Christ is the one who teaches the children. Prophet and teacher are the two words that the Catechism uses to describe this aspect of Christ's office. A prophet is one who is given the will of God. The will of God is revealed unto him. And then the prophet takes that will of God as it is revealed unto him, does not change adulterate that message of God in any way and brings that revelation or that will of God in all of its clarity unto the people of the Lord. That's the idea of a prophet. Teacher, very closely related to the idea of a prophet. Teacher is one who takes that which is unknown that which is, we might say, ambiguous or cloudy in the minds of the listeners. And the teacher then takes that which is unknown and makes it known unto the listener. Makes it clear and makes the truth vivid so that then the student along with the teacher can say, yes, that makes sense to me. I, I understand that now. Christ is prophet and Christ is teacher. And here we see an advancement of Jesus Christ over so much of the work of especially the Old Testament prophets. For how often was it not the case that the Old Testament prophets would reveal the will of God and they would do so faithfully, and yet they would fail to understand the meaning or perhaps the significance of that will of God. They prophesied of this coming Messiah, this man who would have no form and no comeliness, that when we should see Him, there's no beauty in Him that we would desire Him, and yet, did they even understand of what they were speaking? Jesus shows His advancement over the Old Testament prophets and that He not only revealed unto the people the holy will of God, but Jesus Christ also made that vivid. He made that so that the, the audience could understand what He was speaking about. He would use parables to illustrate unto them the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. As teacher, 
prophet. Jesus Christ was involved in, was doing a difficult work. The difficulty of this work is that Jesus Christ was appointed by God to take heavenly, divine truth and present those truths in such a way that people who are of this earth, earthy, could understand, relate to, and love those truths. So that even the children, according to Psalm 34, verse 11, Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Even the little lambs were brought to understand the will of God concerning their redemption. A task that of itself is by nature impossible. The Gospel, the message of the Gospel is unique. The message of the Gospel is Heavenly. It has its own terminology, its own language. And that language is foreign by nature to the ears of people to this earth. The language of the Gospel uses words like justification, redemption, preservation, glorification. And yet Jesus Christ, as the perfect prophet, took these heavenly and divine words and made them clear so that God's people could understand them. Prophet. How selfless he was in his work as prophet. What's striking about the work of Jesus Christ as prophet was the way in which He instructed the people. The manner of Jesus Christ teaching them was by the spoken Word. He taught with His mouth. The only instance that I know of where the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ wrote something down was when he bent over and used his finger to write in the ground. Other than that, every single time that Jesus Christ communicated something, that he taught a truth, it was not by the medium of writing words down on paper, but it was by his mouth. He spoke to the people. And I do believe that there is significance in this fact that Jesus spoke, not wrote. Imagine if he had written notes, letters, books to family and friends. What would the response of the church 
be if they could get their hands upon those letters and those notes. Just as the Roman Catholic Church throughout the Middle Ages became obsessed with finding relics of the cross, the ark, or anything else, so I fear that the church would become enamored not with the holy and inspired Word of God as it's revealed here, but with finding those letters that Jesus wrote. Jesus taught His people by speaking. He's prophet and teacher. And then second, the Catechism speaks of Jesus Christ as our priest. The middle of answer 31. And to be our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of His body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us. He's our priest. To use the language of priest is to use the language found throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. The priests who did not inherit a portion of the promised land of Canaan, but who were spread throughout the cities of the land and who were given a specific duty with regard to the worship of God. It was the duty of the priest to offer sacrifices for the sins of God's people. It was because there was sin found throughout Old Testament Israel and because that sin would create a barrier between the people of God and the Lord of hosts Himself, that somehow then that barrier must be removed. And so it was the duty of the priest then, by way of offering sacrifices, to remove that barrier so that the people of God and the Lord Himself could fellowship together. It was only after the Lamb without blemish was offered that then they could go into that holy place and even the most holy place and their fellowship with the thrice holy God. Jesus Christ as our only high priest is both priest and the Lamb. Psalm 34 verse 20 He keepeth all His bones. Not one of them is broken. Many other sufferings Jesus Christ would endure, but His bones would not be broken. His flesh would be torn apart. His blood would be spilt upon the ground. In his soul, he would bear up under the almighty crushing weight of the justice of God's wrath for the sins which you and I have committed. But his bones would not be broken. God placed limits on the suffering of his son Jesus Christ. God would not permit him to suffer one ounce more than what was necessary to make atonement 
for the sins of His people. He keepeth all His bones. Not one of them is broken. He's priest. And then third, Jesus Christ is our King. The conclusion of answer 31 and also to be our eternal King who governs us by His Word and Spirit and who defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that salvation He has purchased for us. As King, Jesus Christ rules. And we see that revealed especially in Psalm 110. Verse 1 and verse 2, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Somewhat difficult to understand initially, the Lord said unto my Lord, So who's the Lord in comparison to my Lord? Notice the difference in the capitalization. The Lord, all capital letters, is Jehovah. Said unto my Lord, lowercase letters, means master or ruler. Jehovah said unto my ruler, Sit thou at my right hand. The Father said unto the Son, Sit at my right hand. Here the psalmist gives us a glimpse into the inner Trinitarian discussion and conversation. Jehovah says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And so He does. Christ is the absolute, the exclusive, and the intolerant King. He will not tolerate anybody else to be king besides Him and Him alone. Either He is the King who rules sovereignly over all things in heaven above and in earth below, or He is not King at all. He does not share His kingship. He is not a king but He is the King. And according to Psalm 110, verse 2, He rules in the midst of enemies. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. In the midst of conflict. In the midst of division. In the midst of strife. Even strife that enters into the home, and pits parents against children, pits one sibling against another sibling, 
Jesus Christ is King. Even when rebellious man or rebellious woman objects to Jesus Christ as King and says, you are not my King to tell me what I must do and what I may not do. In the midst of His enemies, He is King. He is king even though the devil would imagine that he is king. And the devil as well would insist that he is the absolute, that he is the exclusive, and that he is the intolerant king. The devil would say that he has the sole right to rule over this or that individual. And the devil will do everything in his power to get this individual to obey his will instead of the will of Christ. Jesus Christ proved that he was king by his death. demonstrated that he was king by killing the devil, conquering evil at the cross. There was the superscription above his head, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. How selfless is Jesus Christ in his position as king. He does not rule for himself, for his own profit, or for his own advantage. But as king, he gave himself up. How selfless is the anointed Messiah. How filled with love and devotion for His church. Could we be made like unto Christ? Can we take His name as our name and be called Christians? Yes. Because God makes us Christians. God anoints us with the Spirit of Christ. And God gives unto us to bear that name, Christian. Answer 32 of the Heidelberg Catechism speaks of this. Because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus am partaker of His anointing. This changes everything for you upon this earth, does it? Not that you are a member of Jesus Christ by faith. That you are a Christian means that this earth is not your home. That you are a Christian means that the thinking and the mentality of this world is not 
your thinking nor your mentality. That you are a Christian means that your mind is not filled with the filth and the entertainment and the lusts of the flesh. But it means that your mind is filled with the will of God given unto you through Jesus Christ, the great prophet. That you are a Christian means generally that you live a life of holiness and separation and devotion unto God. You do not live for yourself anymore. You do not live for your own advancement. You are not always looking enviously at the neighbor, hoping that someday you can be promoted above your neighbor. But that you are a Christian means that you now have been called by God to a life of selfless service and devotion unto Him. What a privilege that you may be called Christian. How few upon this earth bear that name Christian. More and more the world separates itself from Christ, from the values of Christianity, and from the truths of God's Word. How few in this world have the hope of life everlasting, have the comfort of knowing that they belong unto Jesus Christ and have that peace that passes all understanding. A privilege to be a Christian and a duty to be a Christian. A solemn, weighty responsibility Something that drives us to our knees as we see our inability and inadequacy to be a faithful Christian. I am to present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness unto Him. Amidst a world that places increasing pressure upon faithful saints to be conformed to the image of this world, as a Christian, I am called to let my light shine before men. Who would dare to be a Christian? Let's look specifically at the duties, callings that we have as Christians were anointed into a threefold office, prophet, priest, and king. Answer 32 speaks of that. I am a member of Christ by faith and thus am partaker of His anointing. Then, speaking of our duties as prophets, that so I may confess His name. That's what we do as prophets. We confess His name name. 
You are a prophet because God has made you a prophet. The prophetic speech then that you are to deliver is not your own wisdom, not secular understandings or truths, but the prophetic message that you are to deliver as you confess the name of Jesus Christ is the will of God. God has given unto you to know His will regarding your redemption. God has given you to know how by nature you are a sinner and thus are undeserving of any of His blessings or benefits. God has granted unto you to know that in spite of your sinfulness, God in His great mercy sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for your sins. God has given you to know that He is good and the overflowing fountain of all good. And so that then is the confession that is upon the lips of the prophetic Christian. Behold, this is what God has done for me. Allow me to share with you the good tidings, the Gospel, as it's been delivered unto me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's the message that you bring as prophets. And we must never allow our prophesying to change into bringing the wisdom or the knowledge of the world. Yes, we must know things about this world. We must be able to live on this earth. But let us not confuse understanding the things of this earth with prophesying. Prophesying does not mean that I take the gloomy report given on the news channel about what's going to happen with the economy, about what's going to happen with this or that politician, and then go around and share that with everybody else, that this is what is going to happen, and so you better watch out because this or that bad thing is going to happen. That's not prophesying. That's taking the report of the world and sharing their report. Prophesying, being a prophet and a teacher, is taking the Word of God and bringing that Word. Psalm 34, verses 2 and 3. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. You can, beloved, live as those who have been called to the office of prophet. You can speak of what God has done for you. 
So often I sense that Christians struggle in this regard. Feeling just so inadequate. Feeling that suddenly they have a mouthful of teeth when the opportunity is given unto them to witness, to speak of Jesus Christ. Fearing that they're going to say the wrong thing. Fearing perhaps that they're going to make a fool of themselves. Be encouraged you can. As you are anointed with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, you are made evil to speak of the works that God has done for you. You're a priest, prophet, and then priest. Catechism speaks of this work of priest, and that I may present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to Him. Notice the language here. You do not present yourself a living sacrifice of payment unto Him. Some live their lives in that way as if by their good works they are making payments unto God. Although with their words they confess that they repudiate works righteousness, Although with their words, they would say that I believe that I'm justified by faith and by faith only on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, yet they live their lives in such a way as if they are anxious and concerned about their status before God, wondering if perhaps God is angry with them, and then they feel as if they must make penance for the sins that they have committed. And so instead of being motivated out of thanksgiving to present oneself a living sacrifice unto God, they are motivated out of fear, out of doubt, out of anxiety to present themselves a living sacrifice unto God. But the language of the catechism accurately reflects the teaching of God's Word. It's taken from Romans 12 verse 1. That we present ourselves a living sacrifice of thankfulness unto God. It's because of what Jesus Christ has performed at the cross that now I want to express my gratitude unto God. How do I say thanks for that unspeakable gift of salvation that Jesus Christ has given unto me? I say thanks. By living as a sacrifice. Denying the desires of the flesh in grateful obedience to Jehovah. You're a priest. And you're a king. God makes you king. It's not by your efforts that you become king. It's not because you are worth more than others that you are king. God, by His Holy Spirit, makes you to be kings. The Catechism describes the duty that you have as king 
And also, that with a free and good conscience, I may fight against sin and Satan in this life, and afterwards reign with Him eternally over all creatures. That's your calling as king, that you fight against sin. It is not your duty as king to fight your neighbor's battle. It is not your duty as king to rule over your neighbor, to impose your will on him or her. But God calls you to fight against sin in your own life. He gives you the strength that you need. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 6 the spiritual armor that God gives to us. He graciously gives you what you need so that you might be faithful to stand for the right. You are a Christian, prophet, priest, king. Glory. Glory awaits the faithful office bearer. The one who is faithful in that threefold office of prophet, priest, and king, glory awaits. Glory has been given already unto Jesus Christ as the perfect office bearer. Psalm 110, verse 1 The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And presently Jesus Christ sits at God's right hand. What a position of glory that has been granted unto Him. He is not far removed from the Father's presence, but He is close unto the Father at His right hand. And as an indication of the fact that He has finished, completed the work that the Father gave Him to do, Jesus Christ sits at God's right hand. Psalm 21, verses 5 and 6, Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon Him, for thou hast made Him most blessed forever. Thou hast made Him exceeding glad with thy countenance. And in Jesus Christ being exalted to the position of glory at God's right hand, we see revealed unto us the normal way in which God works. And is not the order this? First, one suffers, and then one is glorified. First, Jesus Christ was humiliated, went through the steps of what we call His humiliation until His descent into hell. And then He was exalted in what we call the steps of His exaltation. First, Jesus Christ came into this world not to be ministered unto but to minister 
and to give his life a ransom for many. And then Jesus Christ was exalted, sitting enthroned at God's right hand. Does not that same order apply to our lives? First, we suffer. Then, we are glorified. We await our entrance into final glory. The Catechism concludes, answer 32, and afterwards reign with Him, with Christ, eternally over all creatures. What a thought that someday you and I will reign with Christ. We would hardly dare to say it if it was not found in God's Word. You might say, I look forward to being with Jesus Christ. I look forward to living with Him, fellowshipping with Him, but reigning with Jesus Christ over all creatures? 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. All of this afterward. Afterwards, reign with Him eternally over all creatures. After one suffers. After one's health deteriorates and they become weaker and weaker. After riches are taken away and one is poor and needy. After facing that final enemy death. Afterwards, reign with Him eternally over all creatures. Psalm 39, verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, Thou who art sovereign in determining who will bear the name Christian and who will not bear such a glorious name, we are thankful that Thou hast chosen us to be Thy sons and daughters. Grant unto us faithfulness in this office of all believer. Forgive us our sins and send us home later on with Thy blessing. For Jesus' sake, Amen.